Hello and welcome back to another episode of Control Alt Delete. Today's guest is Harriet Hall or Harry Hall. She is stylist, head digital features uh, writer, and also a presenter and producer at Stylist Magazine. She specialises in fashion and feminism, and she edits the Ask a Feminist column. And we met, I think, when she might have commissioned me to write and ask a feminist column when my first book came out. And then also we've been on a few kind of trips together to do with the stylist. And she's just a really great person. She's also written a book called She, a celebration of renegade women. And it's available now to buy in all good bookshops and on Amazon. It's a book that celebrates amazing women over the years. From Coco Chanel to Cleopatra to Jane Austen to Michelle Obama to many activists like Malala, she has written a book that really truly honours a hundred amazing renegade women through history uh, to the present day. It's really gorgeously written and curated and expertly written by Harry and also it's filled with amazing stunning imagery and illustrations by the artist Alice Skinner and I really recommend it I wanted to get Harry on the podcast to talk about her career writing the book and also I thought it'd be quite interesting to talk about the process of this book as it was commissioned by the publisher um, as opposed to uh, being pitched and I think that's quite a different um, process even though the outcome is obviously the same so yeah hope you enjoy this one and here it is welcome harriet hall to my podcast hi it's been a real treat to look forward to so thanks for having me you're welcome um so when did we first meet again we first met at in france in a chateau oh yeah (laughs) i lined that up so that we could you know have a little uh, humble brag at the beginning i feel like we met because we looked the same um and that was a lot of what drew us to each other (laughs) i know so for those listening we both have uh short blonde hair and we're both wearing a jumpsuit yeah it was like i'd met my twin but yeah, thank you for coming on. I feel like it's a really exciting time to interview you because not only do you work at Stylist, which is, I mean, personally, I think the best sort of women's mag out there at the moment, especially the, a weekly that you get on the tube that you can just read about other people's opinions in, but also your book has come out, She. <laughs> yeah. What's the subtitle? So it's called She, A Celebration of 100 Renegade Women. And I felt like when I, before it came out, I just said the whole title to everyone all the time, not really realising that I could just stop at She. So. Yeah, no, it's, it definitely um, sums it up really well on, on the cover. You kind of know what you're getting. But um, before we talk about the books, I really do want to talk to you about the book. What has your career history journey been? I don't know if I've ever even asked you this. Yeah, so, you know, it's a funny one because I actually started getting into journalism because I wanted to be a fashion journalist. And I do still write about fashion from time to time, and I go to fashion weeks, um, but now I really write about feminism, and that's my kind of raison d'etre in the world of the media. Um, But yeah, I started doing that. I started in Style magazine, and everything I wrote was kind of tinged with this feminist edge. You know, I'd always say, but what about the women? Or, but you know, how does this affect women? Um, Whether that went on to fashion or entertainment or whatever. Um, and after I left in style, I worked at the BBC as a producer on BBC News Channel, which was probably the most intense job I think I've ever experienced. But amazing, amazing training, amazing people. Um, and even there, you know, I did some packages for Fashion Week and it was like, is fashion feminist? And how is fashion affecting women now? Um, and then I came to Stylist. 
That's so interesting because your role is obviously very much a writer, an editor, but you do do a lot of like production, like bigger sort of digital producing stuff. Yeah, so we kind of moved into the world of video um, and I've sort of focused on that a lot more now. Um, and that involves a lot of production and sort of directing and scripting and script editing, um, which is great because it kind of ties those backgrounds of InStyle and the BBC together really nicely. Um, and I still get a bit of writing. It's kind of best of both worlds, really. Yeah. Do you think that as a journalist, like, we do need to have, like, those skills now a bit more kind of diversifying? Or do you think that that's just something you enjoy? Yeah, you know, it's not something I've intentionally gone towards, like, dipping my finger in all these kind of pies, but has been the most amazing training because I am quite malleable you can put me in a situation and you know in the digital world now it's very much video and online and being able to do both is amazing um, and often I'll commission things which have a kind of article tacked on to the side of them so being able to edit as well as produce um, is really important but you know I think there's still an advantage to those kind of die-hard print journalists as well um, sometimes I get a bit jealous and thinking oh you've been doing this for years maybe I should have you know gone down that route but yeah, I feel lucky to be kind of multidisciplinary. Yeah, the multi-hyphen method. Oh, yeah, ultimate. <laughs> I mean, sorry, that was not meant to be a plug so seamlessly. It just came in so natural. <laughs> yeah. um, but you also interview a lot of amazing women. I know that in your book, you obviously, you talk about 100 renegade women. But what about the, like, A-lister style women? Like, what have you learned from interviewing so many of them? You know, I, I love doing those kind of interviews. Most people hate them who do entertainment journalism because you're thrown into a room in this kind of junket scenario in a hotel. It's very kind of Notting Hill. <laughs> you know, and Hugh Grant goes around to all the different rooms. Um, it's a really intense environment. And, you know, you've always got a kind of publicist sitting there looking at you and wondering what question you're going to ask next. But I've never been the kind of journalist that's want to sort of trip someone up and trick them. So... For me, it's just really about asking about people's careers and finding out their interesting stories. Everyone's got something interesting to say, and especially um, when it comes to film, I think we've had such an interesting um, time with women in film that I really enjoyed. You know, I, I can ask the same question to 10 different women and they'll answer it in a different way, and that'll be a nice thing I can package together. Um, but yeah, it's often the publicists kind of the fear of them that's the main yeah. thing <laughs> I remember interviewing Amy Schumer in the Rosewood Hotel once and her publicist was just like sat next to me like practically on my lap like looking at my notes and I was like just so it was so nerve-wracking but do you think it's changed a little bit in terms of as well like um we, you don't have to go in and, and just ask them about like the shampoo they're using and their baby bump yeah. like you can you're, you can have like a feminist slant on your questions yeah you can and I think once you've developed a kind of you know a sort of showreel, as it were, of interviews or range of interviews and you've done the kind of big names, then people are more likely to, to let you do that. I think it's all about building a name um, in the film world and that kind of thing. But, you know, there are still times when I'll interview someone and it'll just, you know, just after the Weinstein scandal, it'll be like, don't mention Harvey Weinstein. But of course, that was one of the main reasons why I'd selected that person to interview, for example. So yeah. you do get it. You have to, you know, be careful. And also you want to kind of keep those relationships with the PRs and the publicists. So... You know, you don't want to trick anyone, but yeah, I think, you know, celebrities are becoming increasingly politicised. Um, so they all have something really interesting to say and, and they want to say it. You know, they don't want to pretend to be this kind of Barbie doll behind the magazine cover. They want to have, uh, you know, opinions and stuff. So that works for me. Yeah, <laughs> I love that celebrities are becoming more like that. I'm really obsessed with Cardi B at the moment. Amazing, and I like, know. I just love the rants that she goes on, and it's like there is no distinction really between what she'd say to her friends, what she'd put on Instagram. Yeah. Like, it's quite interesting. 
It is. And also, you know, I think there's an argument to be had whether celebrities are supposed to be kind of role models or involved in politics. And some people are really against it. And they think, you know, I don't want to hear, you know, this person giving their opinion on Gaza or whatever it is. But, you know, I don't think that there should be a problem with that. I think we should be encouraged. And they have this amazing platform, you know, at the Oscars to give this speech, you know, Francis McDormand talking about the um, inclusivity Oh, the inclusion rider. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, they have these platforms, so so why not? Yeah, I totally agree. Um, so what, I think what's really interesting as well about what you've carved out is, like, you're, you are so well-known as being this brilliant journalist who writes about feminist issues. So it's no um, surprise that you were commissioned to write a book. I was quite surprised. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, I'm guessing in the meeting, you know, when these things happen, they're like, who would be amazing for this? Oh, what about... So actually, you've built... You have built this presence of, like, this is what I do. Yeah, I think... I would love you to talk through that because I think there's a difference just slightly in the process, not in the outcome, of pitching a book versus being commissioned for a book. Yeah, I think all journalists really have this kind of dream of writing a book. But for me, it was sort of a background thing. You know, one day I'll do it and it wasn't kind of right there because I think when you're you know, working so intensely in digital journalism just to get the next piece out or the next video out, um, you kind of don't have time to think about that stuff. So I was emailed by Headline Home. Um, Christina emailed me saying, you know, I love your work. I love your Ask a Feminist column. And, you know, I wanted to meet you to chat about a book. I didn't know that she meant me writing a book. So I, <laughs> I didn't intentionally ignore the email, but I think I missed it and was like, marked it as important to read later. And she emailed again, kind of nudged me. And then we went for lunch and she was like, do you want to write this book? And I was like, oh, I didn't know you meant me, you know. <laughs> so so you're lovely. playing hard to get without even realising. <laughs> Classic she story of my life. More. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, that's so, but then you must well I, I was I was gonna say oh I bet you got that email and you were like oh my god amazing but you didn't realize you'd got it <laughs> yeah I didn't realize and then there was a long process between getting the email having lunch with Christina and the book actually being commissioned she emailed me in August of 2016 and we didn't even get signing the um contract until about March April 2017 so there was a long process and you know she had this idea and she wanted to create the celebration of women and and yeah, we went from there. But it was it was amazing because I was very keen to make it my own and for it not just to be an identikit, you know, compendium, as there are so many out there. Yeah, no, it's definitely yours. Like, it's so you, the book. <laughs> but I was going to ask, did you have an, a literary agent? Was it direct? It was direct. I didn't get a literary agent. And um, full disclosure, it was because... I didn't want to give away any of my money. <laughs> no, I've interviewed loads of people who say this. Yeah. Tiffany Dark was a guest. Oh, right, yeah. used to be the editor of Sunday Times Style years ago. And she said exactly that. And I thought, yeah. what, a, what an honest and good answer. Yeah, I think this was a very kind of cut and dry project. It was 100 women. There was a word count. There was a real concept. So, you know, I think if you were doing something like a novel or you are straying really far from that in non-fiction, you might want to get an agent just to kind of deal with the, the nitty-gritty. But... I felt really comfortable with Headline. I felt really comfortable with Christina and that she wanted me and that she supported me and that, you know, she wasn't out there to get something for me for a kind of really cheap deal or whatever, which, you know, I do hear happens to some um, writers. So, yeah, I didn't go for that. I think I would next time just because once you know the ropes, you know, you can kind of pass that on to someone else. It's a bit easier. Yeah, and um, also if it's your 
idea you would probably want to pitch it around a bit yeah. but because it was a collaboration between that you you'd have to go with them anyway to do yeah. that one idea so. yeah exactly but it's it's it, the book is really beautiful as well I wondered like how's the process been with like the cover and did you did, did they just send you that cover and you loved it or that's basically what happened I was really nervous about what it would look like and I think a lot of publishers commissioned these compendiums of women you know off the back of rebel girls and which was this incredible book about women kind of you know told in in a way that sort of if bedtime stories and I didn't want it to look like anyone else's I didn't want it to look like a copy I wanted it to be its own thing but it was really led by headline and they sent me the cover and there were two options there was a kind of pale pink like a millennial pink and which I do love Um, and then there was this really kind of bright orange blue and kind of purple cover and everyone kind of chose that and I I was really I couldn't believe you know it was it was I just didn't know what to imagine um, it doesn't have any women on the cover, it just has the word she, and it's not too feminised. Um, yeah, it's a strong cover, for sure, and I think that's helped in the bookshops, it stands out. <laughs> oh yeah, it definitely does. Also, it looks kind of, it looks quite luxurious in a way, yeah. like you kind of definitely give it as a gift as well, yeah. to be like, this is a lovely book. Yeah, for sure, it's a gift book, and also what's nice is that inside the illustrations by Alice Skinner, whose illustrations are just beautiful, are black and white, and that kind of gives it this sort of... I don't know, it just gives it something new, something different, I think. Um, and it's small enough to fit in your handbag, so you can carry it around, which I like. Yeah, dip in, dip yeah. out. But yeah, Alice Skinner, it would be weird if that wasn't a young woman doing the illustrations as well. Yeah, and she's carved out this really modern sort of career for herself on Instagram, and that's where she gets a lot of her commissions, and that's where I really, you know, saw what kind of illustrator she was. I was quite nervous again about illustrations. I didn't want it to look too, like, fashion, mm-hmm. or, you know, not kind of feminist enough it looks quite raw and gritty and also quite idiosyncratic so definitely check out her yes definitely I have a question that I know a lot of people listening will probably want me to ask how did you write this book whilst having a full-time job Uh. I I did it as well like when I worked at Glamour and wrote my book so I totally get it but I don't I I don't remember it it was such a blur the trauma like (laughs) repressed memory so I think, you know, you have to be honest with these things. If I was sitting down and trying to write a novel now without a commission, I probably wouldn't do it. And it's not that I don't have drive. I do have drive and I've always been really ambitious. And I like to work at the weekends and to kind of keep keep abreast of things. But for me, it was a lot to do with the fact that I had a deadline and I had a contract and I had to get it done. Yeah. I, I told myself I would write three women a day on Saturday and on Sunday. Um, and I basically stuck to that as much as possible. And when they, I did two women a day on a Sunday, you know, I'd start thinking, what have I done? I failed. But yeah, the more I wrote, the more I kind of understood the formula and how much information I could keep and leave for some women. And um, at the beginning, I was sort of writing dissertations on each woman thinking, you know, but what about this thing she did when she was six years old? I've got to include that. Um, and you did you all the research yourself? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that must have been, like, did you carve out time to research versus... T- time to write or how did that work yeah so at first I started with the kind of I'm going to have my hundred women by next week which was obviously ridiculous um so I, I sent over like 50 to the publisher you know I just kind of I just went and wrote down all the women that I thought were amazing then I went into kind of diversity and diversity in eras and race and abilities and sexualities um and then I just couldn't finish the list so I just started writing at one point and then the more I wrote of the book the more I had this kind of picture of what all the women would look like and what was missing um so yeah that's how I kind of carried on that's really interesting that you did that I mean I'm not surprised you did that but it would make sense to kind of want to paint a diverse picture yeah and it was a tight deadline um which I should say so I think it was about six months just to write the first draft 
um, which with part-time work and the research, uh, full-time work and the research was really difficult. Um, and so the kind of drawing, you know, I had all these lists. I had a list of decades, a list of countries, a list of specialisms, you know, scientists, artists, fashion, and each one I wanted to make sure was kind of filled up in different ways. Because, you know, in today's day and age, if you don't have diversity, you're just not telling a story that's worth telling. So true. Did you have to sacrifice anything during that busy time? I mean, just because I really relate to the idea of this, like, one big project, because i that's sort of how I work. Like, I work on something in really intensely, and then I have a bit of time off after, and it means I can't go to the pub on a Sunday, for example. And I beat myself up about that, but then at the yeah. end, I'm happy with the project. Yeah, there was a lot of that, and I remember specifically um, my friend Lucy's Hindu. Sorry, Lucy. <laughs> I had to cancel really last minute, and I just... Uh, yeah, I felt so awful about it and so gutted. And I just, the only thing that kept me going was, you know, if I've missed this Hindu, I have to make this time work. Um, so it was difficult. I did have major FOMO for a long time. And when I finished the book, I started kind of getting more active in my WhatsApp groups. And my friends would say, you know, Harry's back. Like, she stopped working, which was quite nice. But yeah, yeah I think you do get FOMO, but there's always people that are always going to be there when you're back. They know what you're doing. I do think there's an element of people sort of not really sure what you're doing if they're not in the industry. And when the book launch happened, they came and they were like, all oh, right, I get it now. You've, you've been doing this book. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's a it's like a big milestone. Yeah, you know? for sure. So do you want to talk through some of your favourite women in the bit? Or not favourite, just like some that really stood out. Um, just to give a taster, because obviously, yeah. you know... Spoilers. Go and buy the full book, people. <laughs> please do, please. <laughs> but yeah, okay, so every time I'm asked this question, I pick, you know, different women. So... You obviously because, love them all. Yeah, because I love them all so much. Um, but there were, you know, the kind of really obvious women that I just had to include, you know, Jane Austen, Frida Kahlo, Marie Curie, um, etc. And then there were women that were kind of lesser known, but some of my favourites... Um, obviously led by my own kind of South London upbringing and interest in fashion and art. So Olive Morris is a really interesting one. She was a um, activist in the 1970s in Brixton and she um, really fought for housing rights and was a central figure in the 1970s squatters campaigns. Um, she really worked to rehouse black families, um, was a member of the Black Panthers, UK Black Panthers. And I'd never heard of her but she's I, a huge. I hadn't heard of her until I read your book. Yeah, and she's this huge community figure, and she's on the bricks and one pound note, and there's a you know community building named after her, and we just should know her. I think if it was in America, you'd know her name, but in the UK, not so much. So um, she's pretty amazing. In the same decade, 1970s, Jaya Ben Desai, who more people will have heard of, um, she was one of the strikers in Saris. Um, she was working at the Grunwick Film uh, Processing Lab, and she just said, "I'm not dealing with these conditions and these." Um, awful salaries and they all got up and, and, and they striked for two years and it's just an amazing example of activism so I'm obsessed oh, with activists. Yes. Um, Alice Guy Blachet, the first female director, film director, created over a thousand films and I bet, again, you know, not judging you but we haven't heard of her, I, you know, I hadn't no. again. Um, Edith Head, who was a costume designer in film, she won more Oscars than any woman in history has won. Um, why do, just why so do many. we not know these names? So, with Edith Head as an example, she set up her own... Um, sorry, Alice Guy Blachet as a perfect example. She set up her own film studio um, in America and eventually what happened is she set it up with her husband, they divorced, and he sort of took all the credit. And, mm. you know, I'm not man-hating at all. I love men, but the truth is a lot of these women's stories, um, in the case of Rosalind Franklin as well, there were men that kind of usurped or took over their research or sort of pushed them out a bit. And so, 
who just don't hear their stories. One of my mm. other favourites is um, Artemisia Gentileschi, who actually learned about a university. I studied art history, and she was a um, she was a 16th century Baroque artist painter and you know working contemporaneously with Caravaggio and yet nobody's really heard of her but they've heard of Caravaggio and of course he was leading that kind of style that kind of dark and really moody style but she had this amazing story and she was uh, sexually assaulted raped by her art teacher and took him to court and that was in the 1600s you know that would was absolutely unbelievable for women um, and she really fought back and you can still see her transcripts from court so yeah the women were incredible they're so incredible. I could, it's so, I could go on. It is so inspiring. And you're so good at talking about them. But I also feel like it's so weird that even now, you know, you read a magazine and there's a think piece on like how to own your, how to mm. own it in the workplace and like how to take credit for your work. And yeah. it's like those sort of same issues are still, yeah. the dregs are there. Still. I know, it's awful. And the fact that we still haven't heard of so many of these women. And also the fact that the language is still geared so much towards you owning your workspace and you making your voice heard. That kind of lean in brand of feminism, which I don't really adhere to. It's more about, you know, scrap that. I'm going to create a new brand or a new table or whatever. Um, it's not necessarily women's responsibilities to make themselves heard. We're here, we have voices, you know. Yeah, that's interesting that lean in feels a little bit old school now. It really does. And I remember when I first saw Sheryl Sandberg's TED Talk on the topic, and it really, you know, I think Sheryl Sandberg's amazing and she's great, so I should preface that with um, with that comment. But I didn't like what she was saying. I didn't like that idea that it was women's responsibility to say, speak up, because we have, you know, it's such a higher risk to do so. And as with many of the women in the book, you know, especially women of colour, when they spoke up, they were kind of shot down. And they didn't stop them speaking up, but you know, that's 100 years ago. Can we please not be the ones that are, you know, responsible for doing that anymore? What about with, like, the pay gap stuff, though? Because I feel like some of that is... And I don't agree with it. It's not, like, a one single-answer thing. But when people say, like, oh, but they didn't ask. Like, there's women in my company who never asked. Yeah. And it's really difficult. And For me, the the pay gap is, is such a complicated thing it's such a complicated concept and it's more about the figures that we've seen come out seem to me more about a gap in employment than just in salary where we know it's a gap in salary we've seen at the BBC women earning different from men in the same roles and yet you know Carrie Gracie was saying actually I want more money so they do you know women do fight for pay perhaps you know we've got this innate side of us that stops us fighting as much I think there's a study that says um if there's a job application, if there's a job description, a woman can do, you know, under 50% of it or whatever, she won't apply for the job. Under 70%, she won't apply for the job, whereas a man can do under 50 and he will. So yeah. we are conditioned differently, and I do think that's kind of straight from the womb, really. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, the pay gap is a lot about a kind of innate discrimination. You want to employ people that look like you, that feel like you, that come from your background, and that's a real problem we just need to be teaching diversity and teaching that having women in the workplace is a good thing you know media companies or you know whoever it is media was particularly bad who say oh it's just because we have more men in senior roles and it's like yeah but don't you see that that's a problem too you know yeah, yeah. so like, a- that's not a good answer to be like oh that's why it's I like know. yeah that's the problem I know <laughs> so for me I'm a real advocate of quotas and I know that that's not a kind of popular you know concept but it but it has proven to work in other countries and I just think you know you kind of have to shock start these things and enough is enough you know they're saying 
Um, the World Economic Forum says it could take another 200 years to close the pay gap. I'm not waiting around for that. <laughs> no way. No way. And also, like, by speaking up about money, I feel that we can do a little bit. I know, like you say, it's not our responsibility, but I but feel still, like by yeah. seeing confident women talking about how much money... <laughs> and actually, I think we should talk about it more. <clears throat> I think, you know, women should say to each other, similar roles, actually, how much do you earn? Because yeah. it's really... it's You're only benefiting the company by not telling each other. A friend rang me today, actually, who's a fellow self-employed... Um, I'm stopping using the word freelancer because I feel like okay. it's not... It doesn't sum up kind of taking herself very seriously yeah. in like business. But she was like, oh, you know, um, this project's come up. How much would you charge? And I just felt so good, like, sharing resources yeah. on that. Yeah, know? and it is important because we are conditioned not to. Yeah. And it can feel awkward. And I had a similar thing recently. A friend messaged me and said, I hope this is okay, but how much do you earn? I'm in a similar role. And I was like, it's this and that's fine. Don't be a shit, you know. Mm. Just so you kind of know, what's the industry norm? Are you being stiffed, you know? Yeah, because <laughs> the we more are. people want us to stay quiet especially in a company with salaries Mm. the more they just don't want you to know because you're probably on less yeah and I actually just think it'd be so much easier if there's a banded system you know this bracket this bracket this bracket so nobody feels uncomfortable because you do just start to resent things if you find out you know so and so on the desk next to you who's doing a role the same as yours is earning you know however much more you then start to think wait a minute why am I giving my time to this so I think you know quotas bands yes (laughs) keep people happy treat people well um, but with the book and the future of everything, do you see yourself like doing lecturing or like being you like you're an expert in these women now? Well, I have done a couple of school talks, which I absolutely loved. And because for me, I do a lot of, you know, hosting panels or being on panels that are kind of from women that are interested in the industry or, you know, talking to people in entertainment or whatever. For me, it's really nice to speak to girls at school who are kind of ahead of the, the time ahead of this kind of our generation or whatever mm. um and what i found is a they listen so much more than other people and it's great um that's really nice to have a captive audience <laughs> and b young girls are really into feminism in a way that we weren't and i certainly wasn't at that age which is amazing and really exciting so i would like to do lo- lots more of that i'd like to do more public speaking i really enjoy it I get a bit of a buzz from kind of talking and yeah, I guess being the centre of attention. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all? No, I've got a friend whose daughter actually uh, did a petition. You might have seen it, actually. You guys might have written about it, where there weren't enough women, famous women, on the classroom doors yes, for the meeting room. Yeah, rooms. yeah, yeah. And, um, Olivia. Yeah, Olivia, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I did a panel with her at Stylist Live. Incredible, incredible. So her mum uh, works with one of my friends, and yeah. so she, she was like getting daily updates of like how Amazing. it was. But I just felt like, you know, how young to be engage which is amazing mm. but also how young to be then getting backlash it was sort yeah of... sticking your head above the parapet at that age yeah. I mean I just wanted to not be seen you know we all just wanted to not be seen but yeah you know you utter the word equality and people lose their minds I get I had so much abuse I did this video for stylists I don't know if you've seen it it was a video kind of highlighting the absurdity of the gender pay gap I, I think I have it. seen this, yeah. <laughs> so in the video, I called it the Mantax pub. I, it was just a silly joke, and I went kind of, you know, undercover, as it were, as a bartender in an East London pub where I charged men 18% more for their alcohol and their, yeah, their just... food. <laughs> um, and if they, if they declined, I um, would take 18% of the drink. So it was obviously ridiculous. The whole point was that it's supposed to be silly. It was supposed to show, look how absurd the gender pay gap is. This is discrimination. It's not fair. 
but people went mad. There were a couple of women, but obviously mostly men. Um, on Twitter or? On Facebook. I started to get men uh, rating my professional Facebook page as one out of five stars. Just, which I thought was you know, quite a clever trolling technique, but awful. I was like, no. Um, yeah, so that kind of brings your average down and people just saying, this is sexist. And I was like, it's obviously a joke. So I think, you know, you, you say anything, like I'd want a meeting room to be named after a woman or how about women get paid the same? And people think it's so weird you know certain people on the internet especially lose their minds and they can't handle it they think that you're going the other way and they think then that you hate all men or something i know and it's so frustrating because it's such an outdated view of feminism that's existed forever if you look back at women trying to get the vote men absolutely couldn't stand it you know why should you have an opinion it's no different from that Mm. um and there's still a misunderstanding on what the word feminism is some some people will say, I'm not a feminist, but I do believe in gender equality. Or I'm not a feminist, but I'm a humanist. You know, humanism's a different thing. Mm. <laughs> and equality and feminism are one and the same. And I, I, I'm excited by seeing that feminism has become a buzzword. This is something that's also quite controversial, I think, in feminist circles is that I do think that branded feminism is a good thing, actually. And I'm often seen wearing, you know, Nazi women t-shirts or the future is female or whatever, because... That, that we've got to a stage where we can say where feminism on a t-shirt is pretty huge that Beyonce's singing with the word feminist behind her is pretty huge so yeah I think the more we say it the more we kind of change that opinion of it and there's always going to be lunatics on the internet mm-hmm. yeah because if young girls are instagramming their feminist t-shirts that's good yeah exactly. if the t-shirt doesn't take all the profits yeah there's, there's, there's definitely something to be said for if you're creating a feminist t-shirt or a key ring or whatever please do give some money to you know, women's refuges, etc. And there's, yeah, we need this stuff from like the syllabus early on. I feel because you shouldn't have to grow up to your twenties and then have to like learn what the word is. Yeah, exactly. To a gender studies, um, you know, a module at university. A, you might not go to university. B, you know, why aren't we talking about it straight away? Mm. Um, and even at school, I if I think when I thought back writing the book, I thought. God, I remember this, you know, Emmeline Pankhurst, Florence, Florence Nightingale, Mary Seacole from school, and those were women that inspired me back then. Um, so, I, you know, teaching about women from history and women's achievements at an early age also just shows kids women are capable of the same things, you know. Yeah, and they're rock stars. <laughs> um, but, yeah, your book is amazing. So thank you for thank you. writing it and coming on my podcast. Just lastly, I wanted to ask you what you're looking forward to for the rest of this year, whether that's, like, activism or, like, a personal thing. I do want to get more involved in activism, actually. I think writing isn't enough, you know, collectivism and saying things on the internet. And I've joined the Women's Institute, which I'm really excited about, um, and Trouble Gang, um, these kind of groups really working to promote women um, in various industries and around the world. Um, I'm excited to save up and hopefully get on the property ladder. That's a big thing. But career-wise, I I, yeah, I want to do more presenting and I'd like to do a documentary. So, um, hello, please commission me. Oh God, yes. <laughs> yeah, you know, kind of bring this feminism that has become popular and shareable on the internet to telly because I think we still don't see that many feminist documentaries. That's really true. Yeah, We need a bit more long-form deep yeah, dives into For sure. This. Even if it's just looking at women through history or it's you know, activism in the classroom or whatever it is. So that would be a kind of, yeah, a dream for this year. Yes, if anyone's listening. Hiya. Get this mainstream <laughs> Harriet Hall coming at your screens. Um, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks. This has been lovely. Thank you. <laughs>